Hey everybody, welcome back to Patriots of the Core podcast. I'm Thad Forrester and thank you for listening to episode number 68 with Nick McKinley. Before we get with him, I would ask a favor of you if you would go to Apple Podcasts slash iTunes and leave a review. You can do two things really. You can go hit the, the far right star to give it five star rating. But what would even be better would be to actually write a review along with a five star rating. So I would ask that you consider that. Uh, I'm going to take a guess and say I've probably got 40-something or ratings. And then I've got, I think, less than probably 10 written reviews. So please consider that so the, the podcast will be easier to find when people are searching. Uh, and now, so with Nick. Nick is a former Air Force PJ and country chief for a special unit within the CIA During his career, he witnessed the epidemic of child trafficking within illegal markets and recognized the opportunity to apply his training to influence this global crisis. So how do he and his organization Deliver Fund do this? By equipping, training, and advising law enforcement officers to track down and arrest these worthless scums of the earth. They focus on getting the source by unleashing the warriors. In some instances, they've reduced the time to find and arrest traffickers down to days or even hours. To say Nick has a firm understanding about these illicit illegal markets and has the highest levels of training to effectively combat them is an understatement. I'm really fascinated by this this child and this human trafficking subject, partly because I didn't know anything about it for so long. And now that I have learned much more about it, it's just so evil and hurtful. And especially now as a father, just infuriates me to see some of the images and to read some of the stories And then some of the stuff that you'll hear from Nick will fire you up as well. Uh, One of the worst situations he was involved in that he will share is about a a girl that was kept in a dog crate. So you'll get a few more details here in a few minutes. I hope you enjoy with Nick and uh, please reach out to him. Look up his organization, Deliver Fund, and uh, consider donating or just following them. They're active on social media, especially LinkedIn. I hope you enjoy. Tell me, how big a problem is trafficking and and are you focused more on is it human trafficking child trafficking or just all of the above so the size and scope of the human trafficking problem is really hard to measure our best estimates say there's about 27 million slaves worldwide Um, that's the best studies some of the not so good studies will put the number as high as 42 million but those are really big numbers let me give you uh, a, a number that will will really ring home with you. And that's 846%. That is how big the human trafficking market grew in just a five-year period, according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Wow. So it's not necessarily the size of the market. It's how fast it's growing that should scare us all. Is it growing faster in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world? There's really no good data on that. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, but when you look at where you, you look at any market, uh, the the market is going to grow fastest where the expendable income is, which is going to predominantly be in Western countries. And the way that the human trafficking market is scaling is through the Internet. It's through the cyber technologies that we enjoy every single day. And when you combine the the expen- amount of expendable income with 
the computer technologies that are available and, and quite frankly, ubiquitous at this point, uh, it, it really lends to a good argument that the human trafficking market in the United States is growing faster than anywhere else. Wow. So I've been kind of keeping up with the, with human trafficking the last few years. I've read about it. I've listened to several different people who have organizations that are involved in helping to catch these guys. And, and, and I had a, I had a hard time understanding it because in my head, at least at first, I thought, okay, these are, I don't know where, where, where's it happening? Are these runaways or are they coming from, uh, were they abandoned that like the children, but that's not always the case. Can you, can you just break it down? Like what, how do kids get involved or, pulled into this and how often is it like a kidnapping situation and how often is it like it's a neighbor or a family member that exploits them this way so really for the most part uh when you look at human trafficking first we have to define what that means uh especially in the modern political climate oftentimes human trafficking and human smuggling are combined and the reality is they're those are two very different things Smuggled people are very vulnerable to human trafficking because they exist outside the, the legal system uh, and, and don't feel like they have the same level of protection. But ultimately, it's the uh, it's two very, very different things. So human trafficking legally is you know somebody being forced to perform some type of, of commercial service for the benefit of somebody else. Uh, through, and that person is being controlled through fraud, force, or coercion. And so if you have an economic benefit uh, and you have fraud, force, or coercion, you have human trafficking. And sometimes that is, you know, parents uh, that are trafficking their own children for drug money. We see, we see that more often than you'd like. But most of the time, it's just a usually a female, not always, um, but usually a female somewhere between the ages of 12 and 16 years old who's trying to fill that, that either God-sized hole in their heart or that hole that's supposed to be taken up by a father figure or some type of positive male role model. And those girls are the ones that are most vulnerable because they're just looking for somebody to show them love. And in comes a human trafficker or a scout for a human trafficker who manipulates that individual and then, and then holds them against their will. So really almost all human trafficking by the time the person is actually being trafficked is, is, is some type of captive situation. The question is, does that, does the victim actually understand that or are they in such a Stockholm mindset that they don't even think that they're being trafficked. They don't yeah. even think what, what is happening is, is wrong. So how do they, you said they, um, they kind of move in and take advantage of a vulnerable person. How do they you know, find, get access to this person? So that could be a girl just you know, going to the mall with her friends when her parents think that she's over at her friend's house, it could be, uh, I mean, in some cases it's, you know, a trafficker is actually a high school student or maybe the traffickers, um, maybe the high school student's dad is a trafficker and sends him to go, uh, you know, essentially spot and assess girls within his high school who might be vulnerable. I mean, it's, it's any, 
any child or anybody who is in a vulnerable state who's willing to you know who's willing to try to solve that vulnerable state for themselves is open to manipulation i saw a documentary recently and i think it was called the prisoner across the street you may have seen it before but that opened my eyes it was very informative to me and so it was a girl who i think she had a stable home stable family and she rode home with a guy from school one day and she ended up he's like i'll stop at my house i need to go in my bedroom and get something so she made the decision to follow him there and he apparently slipped her a drug and he raped her and that led to so he ended up taking her home and but it led to a few nights a week she had to these guys would take her and say hey well my friends want to meet you now they want the same thing she was a prisoner in that regard she was too embarrassed to tell her family and then she ended up being taken to like a hotel one night and there was a bunch of men in there and she was drugged and and uh, and abused and and um is, is that common that kind of situation too where they live at home in a stable family and they're they're trafficked that way i don't think uh, i don't know that i would necessarily say common um but it it absolutely does happen these um traffickers know how to get hooks into these girls through really whatever means possible it could be drugs it could be you know, kind of a uh, an extortion type case. It could be any number of things where they are just keeping them uh, keeping them under control. Because at the end of the day, that's what human trafficking is all about. It's about controlling another individual so that you can make as much money as possible off of them. What are some of the most horrific? Can you talk about? I don't know if anything stands out like the, the worst situations that you've been involved in. The the worst one that I was personally involved in, and, and keep in mind too, I'm the the CEO of a of a very very rapidly growing organization, so I don't get to be involved in the operations as much as I'd like to be anymore. But uh, one of the ones I was involved in was uh, a trafficker was keeping girls in dog crates and force feeding them cocaine to keep them awake and and not really letting them eat. And I distinctly remember when we had done the the cyber intelligence collection on the case, finding multiple victims of this trafficker. And I, I distinctly remember the image of uh, one of the girls who, in in the advertisement for her online, she's laying on a bed, um, completely naked, skin and bones. I mean, it, she looked like an Auschwitz prisoner, and she was very clearly unconscious. And that is the photo that that trafficker put online. And and he managed to sell her to some sicko who thought that that looked appealing. Uh, and that, you know, you, you don't even, it's just like terrorism. You don't try to wrap your head around the crazy things that these people do and the incredibly evil things that these people do. You you just confront it. You don't even try to to understand it because because they're evil and there is no understanding that that level of evil. Are oftentimes these men involved, you know, do they have these white collar jobs? Are they seemingly upstanding citizens? You know, are they are they husbands, fathers Many- or what? Many times they are. From the customer side, they almost always are people that you know and wouldn't expect. 
Uh, there is somebody listening to this podcast right now who is a customer, and, and many of them will tell themselves, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm a customer of, of prostitution. It's the oldest thing in the world, the oldest profession in the world. There's, uh, you, you know, woman's just trying to make some money for herself, and I'm actually helping her out, and it's a complete and total lie. Those are men lying to themselves to just try to make them feel, themselves feel better about the fact that they are engaging in funneling money into the human trafficking market. And that's not even up for debate. That is a that is just a cold hard fact. So when when uh, you know on the customer side, that that's ultimately what drives the market, right? It's not the best way. I don't believe, and and I think the data backs me up on this. It's not the best way to fight human trafficking, but it definitely is what drives the market because these traffickers, i.e., the retailers of the product are the ones that are, are doing this to try to make money. Uh, and the, uh, the traffickers themselves are kind of the same demographic. I mean, there was, a, there was a case in Houston, Texas, where it was a United Airlines pilot that was the human trafficker. It's just so hard. This has been such a whole new world to me, that, and I'm, even, I'm so far removed from it you know, compared to you, but just what I've read about it and heard about in the last few years, but it just blows my mind. Will you, will you just tell us what you and Deliver Fund are doing to help combat this evil? Sure. So Deliver Fund, we're a, a nonprofit private intelligence organization, uh, and we, we exist on private donations. And we take those private donations and we equip, train, and advise law enforcement and regulators on the human trafficking problem because you can't if you're a private civilian like we are at deliver fund you can't go rescue girls out of hotel rooms um that's either felony kidnapping or you are uh you're acting outside the law in some way the only people who can rescue girls are law enforcement officers and so that's who we support through our equip training and advise model, and we give them technologies uh, free of charge uh, on our dime. Uh, we currently have uh, one of the largest databases of human trafficking advertisements in existence, uh, or commercial sex advertisements, of which a percentage is human trafficking. Uh, we have the, uh, a couple of the data sets that we have are the largest ones in existence, and then through some of our, our commercial partners, they've developed programs that will crawl through that data and and help us find the signal through the noise. Uh, so the technology brings the human trafficking victim front and center, and then we train law enforcement officers in the same thing I did really at the CIA, which was you know full-spectrum intelligence operations. And we train them to take an intelligence-centric approach to the human trafficking problem as opposed to an investigative approach. And there, there's a large overlap between those two, but ultimately, the methodologies are a little bit different, and you need an intelligence-driven approach with the, the cyber proliferation of the human trafficking market. So we, we have created the technologies. We give the technologies to law enforcement officers for free. We then train them how to use those technologies for free, and then we train them on the kinetic side of how to figure out from all the cyber information, where is the human trafficker right now? And then how do you go in in a very small team and arrest that human trafficker and free the victim? Are they often arrested at home? Are they 
often with the victim when they're arrested, or it, it just vary from case to oftentimes case. Oftentimes they're they're oftentimes they're with the victim, but it it really it really varies. I mean, we see everything from traffickers are in completely different states, and they have the victim's child, uh, and that's what they're using to control the victim. To the trafficker is in the parking lot. To uh, sometimes. You know, the person who's getting the ultimate economic benefit might even be in a completely different country. So I want to go to your background, but uh, first of all, though, I mean, Nick, what what else do you want us? What do you want to say about the human trafficking or, or Deliver Fund itself? Yeah, just that the human trafficking problem is very real. It's not a myth. Um, if you have really the the only thing that is required for somebody to be a potential victim is to be a human being. And then you start looking at the more the younger and the more more vulnerable they are, uh, the higher the probability. And this is a problem that our country needs to take very seriously, and a problem that we need to start putting resources behind and and fighting. And you know we always think of human trafficking as this overseas problem, and it is a problem overseas. But if we're going to fight the problem overseas, the best way to do that is to fight it in America because dollar for dollar, the biggest human trafficking market on the planet is the United States of America. Uh, and fighting human trafficking overseas, while important, does nothing to protect our own children. And, you know, I have a young son. I have a young daughter. Uh, and I feel it's my duty as a father to protect them and from this scourge that is... Uh, that is just proliferating throughout our country. And the way I'm doing that is by confronting the evil head on. And that's what we do at Deliver Fund. You mentioned earlier about the importance of a father or a father figure. Will you elaborate on that? Sure. You know, when you have um, any child, uh, but predominantly uh, girls who don't have a positive male role model in their life, they have nothing to compare. They have nothing to compare other men to. And so if, you know, some girl grows up seeing, you know, somebody just grows up completely without a father and then some, uh, you know, some trafficker comes along um, and starts treating her poorly, to her, she doesn't know any different. Um, and then also, there's there's the unconditional love piece. I mean, ultimately, you know, that's what these traffickers are preying on are are girls and and boys who are just looking for acceptance and love, and they give them that acceptance and love, obviously with an ulterior motive and not in its true form. But they don't, you know, the the trafficking victim doesn't know that, and that is what the uh, that's what the trafficker is exploiting. Deliver Fund now, are you, are you based in Dallas? We are. We're based in Dallas, Texas, um, in the uh, in the IBC building, which used to be uh, Backpage.com's old headquarters. And for people who don't know what Backpage.com is, it's kind of a, it was a seedy underbelly of a website that masqueraded as a um, as kind of a, a Craigslist type forum. But ultimately, it was it was the largest advertiser of commercial sex and human trafficking victims in the world. <laughs> I love that story. That so is they so were, awesome. They were seized. 
Yeah, um, they were, uh, their website was seized by the Department of Justice and all of the uh, senior executives and, and staff were arrested uh, and charged with human trafficking and money laundering and, and any number of different things. And uh, they pretty much all pleaded guilty except for the two owners, and those owners are currently awaiting trial. But they will lose miserably because all the other, uh, as I understand it, all the other plea deals uh, meant that the, the, the senior executives have to testify against the owners. So it's just a matter of time before they go to jail. Wow. Well, you're doing awesome work. And you said you're growing rapidly. What kind of people... Are you looking for to to work for the Liver Fund? What kind of skills do they need? Uh, people who are first and foremost passionate about this this mission. Uh, we're not looking for people who are just looking for a mission. They need to be looking for this mission uh, and be passionate about it. And we can tell within about thirty seconds into an interview conversation whether or not they're passionate about this issue or they even know anything about it. You know, too many people these days watch the movie Taken and they think that that is human trafficking. And while that is a wildly entertaining movie, it has absolutely nothing to do with the real world of human trafficking. Um, so we're looking for people who are passionate about this issue, uh, preferably, not always, uh, but preferably people with a, a background in the, uh, in the intelligence side of the special operations community from the military or within the intelligence community. So people coming from a a JSOC or SOCOM background, or CIA, NSA, DIA, any of those. Um, and the other piece that we're looking for are uh, law enforcement detectives who used to fight human trafficking on the law enforcement side and then join us to, to help equip, train, and advise other law enforcement officers uh, how to how to tackle this problem. Yeah, what are some of your strongest partnerships right now, like with which police departments or, or organizations? We don't publicly talk about the law enforcement uh, organizations that we work with. Um, we let them talk about us. Uh, but I can tell you, you know, the ones that have publicly come out and thanked us for our work are, you know, organizations like the Houston Police Department, the uh, uh, Harris County Sheriff's Office, the Tarrant County Sheriff's Office. Uh, we work with a number of federal agencies to include the Department of Homeland Security. I work very closely with them. Uh, but ultimately, currently, we work with over 35 law enforcement agencies across the country. Wow, okay. And so with Houston, I believe the Super Bowl was there a few years ago. And, and I know you've talked about this what? before, but is, is, it, is it kind of a given... I guess a fact that where there's big events such as the Super Bowl, trafficking is going to increase in that area, and y'all are—I'm sure y'all are prepared for that now. Is that right? That is right. Any time you have an increase in in the party life, you know you're going to have an increase in in trafficking because you because you just have an increase in the the overall commercial sex market. So traffickers fully understand that, and they will. I mean, they will go across the country to transport their victims into what is a um, a hot market, so that they can they can make more money. You have a very powerful story uh, from you know your military background, which really intrigued me from um, you know from the Air Force uh, Special Operations community, and then um, and then 
I think you were, yeah, you said uh, CIA, I believe, and you and you you publicized that, and I'd love to, I'd love for you to say why you did uh, before we get off the phone, but we just talk about sure. your background and how kind of the the I guess the the birth or the idea of Deliver Fund came from your military background. Uh, yeah, so I spent eleven years. Uh, 10 years active duty, one year in the reserves in the Air Force pararescue teams, and I left pararescue and went into a very interesting uh, job within the private personnel recovery world, which is just a really fancy way of saying that you worked for insurance companies when very wealthy people would go overseas and get themselves into trouble, and their insurance policy would be activated, or their publicly traded company was concerned about people finding out that they were there and the stock price plummeting or something along those lines. And so my job was to figure out how to get them back. Uh, and I kind of became a victim of my own success in doing that and ended up, it ended up kind of generating a reputation amongst that community as, you know, as basically the guy to call when your, when your employees got in trouble overseas. And so I, I did that until uh, until I got approached by the CIA and uh, recruited in. Uh, that is a process. Obviously, I'm not um, I'm not really allowed to talk about uh, why they chose me. I have no idea. Um, it just kind of goes to show that the system doesn't always work. But um, they let me in anyway. So uh, yeah, I got to I got to spend a number of years. CIA. Uh, I found myself as a um, country team leader in charge of a full spectrum intelligence operations unit, and we were doing some really, really good work for Mom Chevrolet and Apple Pie. You know, it was all counter narcotics and counterterrorism related work. Uh, obviously, all within within the the high threat uh, intelligence collection and signals intelligence collection world. Uh, really, really um, fun stuff. The CIA is a great group of people. Can you, uh, tell, so can you tell us what years that. that was, Nick? Uh, I can't. Okay. Right. <laughs> I can tell you I got out in 2015. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, we're uh, the CIA's got some pretty strict rules on uh, what, what I am and am not allowed to, to talk about. Okay. Sorry. Uh, go ahead. So, but you know, if you can, you can imagine. I started Pararescue in 1996. I. I did, you know, 10, 10 years active duty and then um, did over half a decade, I can say, at the, at the CIA. So, um, you know, you can kind of do some math and come, come pretty close yep. to yep. some of the stuff that was going on. But it was pretty cool because between pararescue and the CIA, I had the privilege of doing 30 combat tours. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were, were quite frankly, pretty boring. Uh, a lot of operations going on, most of them going operation going on without any complication. And so, you know, when uh, when things go well, there isn't really great stories to tell. Uh, but there there was one, uh, actually two specific things that happened that when I was overseas, you know, working for the most powerful intelligence organization the world has ever seen, most well resourced government the world has ever seen. Uh, and they were very, these were human trafficking related issues. And when we had collected this intel, we kind of started looking like, where, where do we put the intel? You know, I mean, we, we, we know that there's somebody blowing up children to test bombs on the AFPAC border. Who do we give this to? Who's going to care? 
And and that was really the frustration was we couldn't find anybody to give it to. And that really made me start digging through the the system that is the U.S. government. You know, one of the cool things about being at the CIA is you have the highest security clearance you can get. Um, and uh, lots of time getting hooked up to a polygraph, uh, having to answer questions. And so when you have that level of clearance, there's, there's nothing that's off limits to you. None of the computer systems are off limits to you. And you can kind of reach down into anything else you need, into DOJ systems or you know, DOD systems, and I could never find, and I was working with this, this JSOC collector at the time, uh, Joint Special Operations Command collector, and, and neither of us could find where we would put this intel, what was smoking gun intel on a human trafficking problem. And that made me just really, really start digging, uh, especially when I got back home to headquarters and started setting up meetings with people and asking around to figure out who had the ball on this issue. And what I ultimately found after a couple of years of really making, making, figuring that out my hobby was that nobody had it. Uh, and so that made me finally pull the trigger on this idea of this NGO that I'd been cooking up for about seven years because when you, I mean, I'd been in some, yeah, I mean, been all the, the most hostile areas. And when it came to the human trafficking issue, I mean, you, you would see it constantly. Once I, once I had studied it enough to really understand what it is, I would see it constantly. So, you know, you have NGOs that are fighting human trafficking overseas, but I'll tell you where they're not. They're not in Libya. They're not in those incredibly dangerous places where we were. Mm -hmm. And that made me start thinking, well, wait a minute. If I can do, if I can do these, these operations in a place like Libya, as an example, then why can't I do them in the United States of America where I can use law enforcement officers as the kinetic end and, and they are, you know, Culturally, we're aligned. Ethically and morally, we're aligned. We understand each other's language. Uh, all the, you know, those are all bonuses I didn't have overseas. So that's what made me made me really pull the trigger on starting the Liver Fund. I mean, that was a huge leap, right? Because you, I mean, yeah. we don't have time to go. I don't guess we have time, but I mean, what you went through when you came home from, I don't know if it was your, well, maybe your next to last deployment and with your family and. You went through some, some oh, crap, yeah. and, and wow, some faith that you exercised was unbelievable. Yeah, I uh, I came home from uh, it was it was actually a couple of years before I left, uh, but I came home from Afghanistan to find my accounts cleaned out and my house cleaned out and uh, divorce papers in my inbox and um, my. Uh, then wife, now ex-wife, uh, saying that I was using CIA satellites to follow her around. Like some really, really crazy stuff. Um, but what was really disheartening was the fact that she had really a dirtbag attorney who was willing to carry the water on that story. Uh, so I got the privilege of having the first uh, divorce case in the state of New Mexico to be sealed on national security grounds. <laughs> wow. So... Um, so yeah, so, you know, going through, going through that while working at the agency and it's, 
it's not a lot in the moment because you know, especially coming from a pararescue background, you're 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 trained so well to just compartmentalize different things and just and and to put the the mission at the moment first uh, that you can you can get around all of that. But but once I was off the deployment cycle and I was back home in either a training cycle or an off cycle, I would be yeah, this is what I I spent my time dealing with, uh, and at the same time. I was I was conceptualizing building out this this uh, this concept for Deliver Fund, and I think at, at a certain point it probably started, you know, where I really started kind of putting together the business plan of it to kind of keep just keep my mind occupied from all the other stuff that was going on, you know, which was in the court system that I can't control, and uh, I'm not a guy who likes to be in situations that I don't feel like I can I can have an effect, uh, you know, if you're. Sure. If you're in these different selection processes for the special operations world or for the CIA, you can always shoot faster, run faster, you know, push the ground harder, study more. I mean, there's always something you can do to affect the outcome. Uh, and then same thing in operations. Uh, you can always, you know, plan better for the most part, um, you know, and, and just fall back, you know, train harder so that during the operation you just fall back on that training. But in this circumstance, I mean, this is the first time I'd ever been involved with the court system. No idea how to navigate that. I've got this attorney. The first attorney I had was absolutely horrible because what do I know about selecting an attorney? Uh, and it was amazing to me how when all of a sudden these things started happening to me, the people, you, you find out real quick who you can rely on and who you can't. And my family was absolutely... Um, behind me in, in ways I didn't even know were possible, but but these these other people who were you know claiming to be my friends weren't answering my calls and were nowhere to be found. And so you learn you learn real fast what what true friendship and and you know and family really means and what it's there for. Uh, but uh, you know I'm, I'm putting all this together just to kind of keep my mind busy. Well, next thing you know, a year or so goes by and I've got this this business plan, which was, which was pretty good. And then it just dawned on me that, wait a minute, I can actually do this. Uh, this is something that needs to be done. And it's no longer just this fuzzy concept. It's now clear and sharp logic that has been peer reviewed and is on paper. This is something I can do. And that was really a fork in the road. Because am I gonna am I gonna stay in a what is a really cool job? I mean, the, the CIA is a bureaucracy that has its problems, like any government bureaucracy, um, but it, it's full of really patriotic, very very smart men and women who are trying really hard to to do what is is best for the security of our country. And hopefully, people have noticed we haven't had a lot of planes crashing into buildings since September 11th. We haven't had a lot of bombs going off in the United States since September 11th, and it's not for lack of the terrorists trying. It's for the success of the intelligence and military units that are out there uh, that are out there fighting this on a on a daily basis on their soil. So, you know, working at the agency is a cool place to work. Um, and as far as government jobs go, it's it's very well paying. So I was really forced with the the choice of am I going to stay in this comfortable position that I'm I'm very comfortable in and is a, that is all I've ever known professionally, or am I going to take this wild leap of faith 
to go run a nonprofit, something I know nothing about, uh, like a business, something that I knew nothing about, uh, with essentially using my retirement account and liquidating my gun collection as the startup capital, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't brief so well, and that's not, that's not a very smart thing to do. Uh, and yet it was one of those, it, it was one of those moments in time where it was like, well, if I'm not going to go do this and it's something that needs to be done, then who is going to go do it? And I got a couple of friends, uh, you know, Jeremy Mayhew, uh, my co-founder has just been a stalwart, uh, supporter uh, of this entire thing. And, uh, you could say has, has largely been the reason Deliver Fund has been successful in spite of myself. Um, and some of the decisions that I made, uh, and, and these guys got behind me, and uh, and we we just didn't look back. Man, how many years has it been now? So we went live in April of 2015. So and, going into, you, uh, you know, four and a half. So you did something though um, to really to to remove your safety net, so like so you'd be all in, you know, mm -hmm. when you came out. And, and I guess announced that you worked for the CIA. Will you explain what you did there? Yeah, the the cool thing about being at the CIA is that you know once you're in, as long as you're still employable, you can always go back. It's you know they already know you. You're a known entity. You can always go back unless and even if your covers rolled back, you can go back. However, if you publicly publish that you were at the agency, you know, obviously with the cooperation of the Publication Review Board. Uh, and, and if you publicly do that, then you're done. You can't ever go back. Because how can you serve in a covert capacity if you've told the world that you used to be at the CIA? And the reason I did that was so that I couldn't go back. Because when you're when you're building a business, and really, you know, Deliver Fund, that's what Deliver Fund is, is we, yes, we're a nonprofit, but we run the organization like a business. We, we apply business metrics to what it is that we do. Um, and, uh, you know, our donors are really investing in the future betterment of the country, uh, and that's the work that we're doing. So if, if you give yourself an out when things get tough, you might take it. So just burn the boats so that you have no choice but to fight through the difficult times and come out on the other side. And, and I'm happy to say that at Deliver Find, um, we've really, really been been blessed. And by the total grace of God, we have managed to, to come out on the other side and, and are building a, a very rapidly growing organization. Man, congratulations. I'm looking at your profile right now on LinkedIn, and yep, I see your where you blasted, you know, your, your job history here and, and uh, yeah, that yeah. takes some guts, man. I, I really respect and admire you and, and, um, being a nonprofit, really, what do you, for the listeners, really, what, what should we do to help in this cause? Is it donate to deliver fund? Is it to, I mean, what's the best thing? The best thing is, is to get involved. Uh, not everybody, uh, is called to, you know, quit their really cool job and take this huge risk to go to go do this full time. Um, and I'm glad because if that was the case, then we wouldn't have anybody to do the other important work uh, in the world. So, you know, nobody nobody likes to talk about money. Nobody likes to 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 you know ask people for money. But ultimately, that is what we need at Deliver Fund. 
Uh, those technologies and databases I was talking about earlier, those are insanely expensive. And uh, the people that we are hiring, you know, the veterans and the intelligence, uh, former intelligence people that we're hiring to do this, these are the people that you want on the front line of human trafficking, uh, taking the fight to the trafficker, especially if it was your child. And so that's ultimately what we need, is we need people to financially partner with us and help us make this, uh, help us make this capability as large as possible. And we, we've done a lot of, of modeling around, around our model and the economics of it. And we found that when we reach our, our, our target levels of funding, we will be able to have an 80% reduction in the human trafficking market in the United States within five years. Think about that. It's huge. You know, what, what company exists to decrease the size of its market? And that, that's our whole goal. You know, this is, it, it's about scaling the capability so that human traffickers just can't make money selling people. Yeah, sounds like you have got a plan. Very well organized. We and do. A, a well-run organization. Uh, what else, Nick? Anything else you'd like to, to share that we need to make, make sure that we cover? You can uh, also help spread the word about who we are and what we do. Uh, we're on all the social media platforms. Uh, you can find us by looking for at Deliver Fund. Uh, me personally, I'm on those platforms, uh, at Deliver Fund Nick. Well, I follow you on LinkedIn. I love the work you're doing there. I see you're, um, you're helping with the, the I Am Jane Doe. I guess that's a documentary or it's a film, a new film, and um, I follow you on Instagram. So thank you. And I, I do have one last question, though. Do you still Go. not own a TV? I still do not own a TV. Stay uh, strong. Uh, I'm proud I, of you. Yeah, I think it'd be over over ten years ago. I I was moving and I sold my TV and I was going to get another one. And then the next thing you know, I just decided that I didn't need it because you know how when you sit down and you're just like I'm just going to surf around on the on the TV, and then the next thing you know, two or three hours go by. You're like, whoa, what happened all that time? That never happens to me because it's impossible because I don't own one. Yep, yep. Uh, so I found that my productivity goes, uh, you know, went went through the roof uh, when I got rid of my TV about 10 years ago and uh, still don't have one. And, you know, I've got, you know, people say, oh, but I've got kids. And I've got two kids under two. I've got a nine-year-old. Um, and my wife and I are very much aligned in that uh, we just don't, it's just that's just something that culturally doesn't fit within our house. Nothing wrong with it. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's just something that, <laughs> that, uh, doesn't really resonate with us. So, yep, still don't have one. I admire that. Well, it's, man, it has been an, well, a, a pleasure. I appreciate you. I, I've, I've wanted to talk to you for a while since I first heard you and I've heard you on a few other podcasts and, and my, my audience, I think will really love, enjoy this. And I, I feel like a lot of my audience is very probably uneducated, on this topic as well on human trafficking. So this is going to be very enlightening and they'll have all the links to go read more about you and about the problem in the world the pro of trafficking. And uh, I think that's all I got, Nick. All right. Well, thank you. And thanks for helping us uh, shine the light into some dark corners of the world. But you know, there's, there's good news. We've got a plan and uh, there's, there's hope for the future and, and hope for the destruction of this evil. 